If I started to sing, that's when my wife would do a flying tackle across the uh, platform because she would not want to see me just totally, you know, ruin my ministry and make everybody else miserable. So that's, you know, the Bible says we have gifts differing according to the grace that is given. And I somehow got uh, completely passed on the, the vocal singing part of it. But um, go ahead, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I'm so glad you came. I think God has some really special deposits and impartations for us tonight. And I think God is going to uh, drop some things in your heart. And I believe activate and release some things in your life uh, to make you a blessing. You know, there's two reasons, not many, but two in particular. We come to church to get blessed, but we come to church to be a blessing. And if we're lopsided on that, if all we're doing is coming to get a blessing, then um, we miss out on the the outflow. Uh, But if we think we're just going to come to church and be a blessing, but never get blessed, then we're going to miss out on the inflow. And how many of you know we need the inflow and the outflow? And I don't know, sometimes... um, When I'm reading in the Bible, uh, I used to look and think about Abraham and David and some of the Old Testament heroes and think, wow, it wouldn't have been great to live back in those days. And the answer is no. Um, It's great to live in these days. Now, they had their moment with God, and I'm sure it was great for them, but we live in a better day. We have a better covenant with God. Uh, We have had more shown to us and more revealed to us than they did because we've gotten to see Jesus and we've learned of him and we know what he did. We we've heard his word and and we know his nature, his character and all that. And we live in the best day of all in terms of, you know, to have lived in the Old Testament versus to live in the New Testament. Um, and, And Acts chapter two is kind of that radical turning point where the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the church. And sometimes we just take for granted, like, you know, how wonderful was that time of worshiping God just a few moments ago? The presence of God, the Spirit of God was here. And, you know, we were able to stand. And by the way, Pastor Ray and the whole worship team, you're doing a great job. Love and appreciate you guys. Awesome job. just facilitating and leading us into the presence of God. And, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes in, in manifest presence, we understand that in a general sense, he's always with us. But isn't it nice when that corporate, tangible presence of God and, and, uh, and you just know that people's needs are being ministered to and, and he's, he's strengthening and encouraging and giving comfort as is needed in people's lives. But when that type of thing is going on, we need to remember there was a time when people did not get to experience that. There was a time when only the prophet, the priest, and the king got to sense the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The average believer, the the average uh, Old Covenant uh, follower... uh, couldn't actually enter in. That's why they had the the tabernacle and then later the temple set up. And it was communicated to them, you can't really get close. Somebody else has to go in on your behalf. And so you would give your dove, you would give your lamb, you would do your grain. And you had to give it to somebody else and they had to offer it up to God for you because that system did not facilitate you having a direct, one-on-one, personal interaction with God. Jesus changed all that. 
when he died, the, the, the veil of the temple was torn and, and um, man was no longer excluded and, and left out. And, and uh, man was able to uh, covenant and enter into a new covenant with God where God said, I will dwell in them. And I will walk with them. And, and we were able to enter into a, a dynamic relationship with God that, that people of the Old Testament could only dream about. And when Peter got up to preach on the day of Pentecost, what had just happened was they had waited in obedience to Jesus. And he said, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't, don't leave until you are clothed, endued with power from on high. And I don't think they knew exactly what that meant. But on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, uh, they were all in one accord. They were in prayer. They were in the upper room. And the Bible says, and all of a sudden there came from heaven the noise as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And you know how the story goes. There appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire. And they were all filled. What, were, what happened to them? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it was such a, a dynamic experience for them that they went flooding out into the streets. And somehow this was some phenomenon that went beyond just a personal blessing in their life because somehow the whole city, the Bible says, came together to hear what was going on, to see what was going on. And this is what Peter says um, in Acts 2.16. And they, the public didn't know what was happening. And he said, but this is that. Uh, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And, it shall, and he quotes Joel now. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Everybody say the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now that statement, all flesh right there, is radical. Because all of these people were Jews from, they were from scattered parts of the world. They'd come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And for centuries and generations upon generations, they were under the impression, because that's the way the old system was, that only a select few, only a few spiritually elite people got to have a direct connection to God. The prophet, the priest, and the king. And all of a sudden, Peter says, we're having a changing of the guard. This is, this is the dawn of a new era. Things have changed. We're not under the old covenant anymore. Now you, one of the presidents said, if you want to make people mad, just change something. Because people generally don't like change. And we're going to find out in following chapters in the book of Acts, there are a lot of people who didn't want this change. Because they liked the old system. And because they had their comfort in it, they had their security in it. Uh, for some of them, it was kind of like a, a, a professional comfort and things of that nature. But Joel says, we've got a whole, or Peter, quoting Joel, says, we've got a whole new system coming into place. This is the day. We're in the last days. And this is the day when God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Meaning, you don't have to be part of the elite. And he goes on to say... Your sons and your daughters. Isn't that cool? In, in, in just one sentence, your sons and your daughters, we find out this is not just for the old gray-haired prophet with the beard, and it's not just for the men. This is for the kids. This is for the young ones. 
And it's not just for the men. It's for the women too. The women get the same Holy Ghost. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now in this, call it a paragraph if you will, is contained principles that we're going to see repeated all through the New Testament. And there are three key themes, there are three key thoughts in this passage, in these uh, statements by Joel that are repeated by Peter. And Peter saying, this is the fulfillment. Joel prophesied it. We're living in the realization of it. There's three key words that I want you to know. And the first is the word everybody. Everybody. Uh, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody. Sons and daughters. Young and old. Men servants and maid servants. In other words, we're not going to have any more of these uh, dividing classes. That if you're a man, you get uh, extra. If you're older, you get extra. Uh, if you're wealthy, you get extra. No. Um, the, the, the sons and daughters get in on this. The young as well as the old get in on this. Uh, the men servants and the maid servants get in on this. Everybody. Now, the understanding is Joel was speaking to a covenant people. All right? So this isn't saying that everybody in the world is going to experience this, but everybody in the covenant is going to experience this. God, if you are God's covenant child, there's something that God wants to do in your life in the last days, and that is He wants you to have uh, the fullness of His Spirit coming into your life. And that brings us to the second point. The first point is everybody. The second point, I'm going to use this term, is influence. Influence. Everybody influence. When the Holy Spirit floods your life, when He's poured out upon you, there is a divine influence that begins to work. And I don't know if you ever sang this song here, I've got something on the inside, working on the outside. You know, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He comes to do a work. He comes to bring transformation. He comes to bring the, the strength and the wisdom and the glory of heaven into your inner being so that it can begin to work its way out through your mind and through your body so that you can begin to have an influence from heaven in your life. And that brings us to the third word, everybody influence when you get something influencing you on the inside, it is so that you can have an expression on the outside. God puts something in you so he can get something out of you. There's an expression. Now, Joel, the expression that he described here in particular is, they shall prophesy. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh is everybody. Pouring out his spirit is the influence, and they shall prophesy is the expression. Now, where Joel was a little bit limited, now we need to understand something about Old Testament prophets, and this would apply to New Testament ministers as well. People who operate in what we call the revelation gifts of the spirit, where God reveals things to people, are not omniscient. They don't know everything. 
when a prophet gets something revealed to them, they only get revealed to them a portion, and, and it's the, the portion that God wants them to see. The Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. And that's why when you're reading through the Old Testament prophets, it's like you get a piece of the puzzle here and you get a piece of the puzzle there and you have to put all the pieces together. You know, Isaiah said this and Zechariah said this and Daniel said this. Nobody saw everything. They all saw bits and pieces. And so we we have to understand that God uh, doesn't give everybody everything. God gives each of us portions But it's when we put the individual portions together that we begin, oh, wait a minute, now we're beginning to see the whole picture. So God said, I'll pour out my spirit on everybody. Everybody's going to have that divine influence. And then they're going to prophesy. Now, here's where we have to uh, take pause and mention something. When Joel received this insight, this revelation from the Lord, God didn't show him everything that was going to happen in the New Testament period. God just showed him a little bit of it. The outpouring of the Spirit that was for everybody. And Joel was a prophet. So when the Holy Spirit would come upon him, what would he do? He'd prophesy. So Joel only saw one expression of the Spirit coming out of people. But what we're going to find when we actually get into the New Testament is that there were multiple expressions, not just prophesying, but there are going to be multiple expressions coming out of believers. But here's, and I want you to say this out loud, God wants to uh, influence everybody. And when they are influenced, they will have an expression. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You are part of everybody. So that means, say this out loud, God wants to influence me. And when he has influenced me, then I am to have an expression. In other words, God puts something into me so he can get something out of me. See, in the Old Testament, it was okay to be a spectator. But in the New Testament, everybody is designed to be a contributor in some way. Now, and when I say contributor, don't just think money, but think uh, gifts, uh, talents, abilities, uh, graces. Uh, God puts all kinds of things in us so that they can be processed through and then come out and be a blessing to other people. Another way to say it is this, if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. He wants us not to be simply consumers of his blessings, but he wants us to be distributors of his blessings. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to 1 Peter chapter 4. And the three words are everybody, influence, expression. And I told you that we're going to see these time and again through the New Testament. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, he says, as each one... As each one has received a gift. Peter was writing here, if you go back to the first chapter, you find out he was writing to multiple churches in several different regions of what is today the nation of Turkey. And um, 
he said, as each one has received a gift. So each one is everybody. If I said, uh, and, and you remember, it's important you get the if. If I said, after this service, I want you all to line up and I want to give each one of you a $100 bill. I said, if I said that. I didn't say, I just, if I said that. And everybody lines up, and the fir- you're number 10 in line, and the first nine people I shell out a $100 bill to, but you're number 10. Oh, nope, didn't mean you. Please step aside. And then I hand it to number 11, number 12, number... Are you going to have a problem with that? Why? Because I said I've got a $100 bill for each one of you. And Peter says, as each one has received a gift... Can I tell you something? When you receive a gift from God, that's an influence. When God imparts to you one of his gifts, one of his abilities, one of his skills or talents, you're influenced by what you receive from heaven. As each one has received a gift, what's the next phrase say? Minister it to one another. That's the expression. If God can get it through you, he will get it to you. God puts something in you so he can get something out of you. As each one, everybody, has received a gift, God's influence, minister it to one another. That's your expression. You're expressing what he put on the inside of you. And then he goes on to say, uh, minister it to one another as good stewards... You know what a steward is? It's someone who manages the business of another. In other words, they don't own it, but they're responsible for managing it. Do you know that when God gives you a gift, you don't own it? It's His gift, but you're responsible for managing it and what you do with it. See, if it was your gift, if God said here it's yours then at that point, you can do whatever you want with it, and it's nobody's business. But if it's his gift, and you manage it for him, then there's going to come a day when he's going to want to know what you did with his gift. That's why you have all these parables about the parable of the talents. You know, the master always came back and said, all right, what would you do with what I gave you? And the people that used it and multiplied it, he was pleased with. The people that buried it in the ground, not so happy. As good stewards of the manifold, do you know what that word manifold means? It means multifaceted or diversified. In the Greek, it's literally the word multicolored. Like a plant, a variegated plant has different shades of color. What he's saying is the gifts that we have from God are not all identical. We have different gifts and different skills and different talents. And it's the manifold, the diversified, the multifaceted grace of God. So what it's saying is we've each received a gift, but we don't all have the same gift. Uh, The gifts are going to be different and diverse, but each one of us has received some kind of gift. Everybody has been influenced in some way by God. If you're a child of God, and we have a responsibility to express it, to minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he says something interesting in verse 11. If, 
if, what does if mean? That means maybe, maybe not. If anyone speaks, that means not everybody is called to a speaking ministry. Not everybody is called, not everybody has been given a gift that is going to result in them teaching or preaching or doing something, you know, verbally. But if you've been called to speak, if that's your gift, then speak as the oracles of God, meaning say whatever God says. Don't, if you've been given a gift of speaking or teaching or preaching or prophesying, it's not your job to get up and give your opinion, your theory, your philosophy. It's your job to say what God says. And then he goes on to say, if anyone ministers, that word means serves. So what we're going to see here is that some people are going to work behind the pulpit. They speak. Other people are going to work behind the scenes. They're going to serve. And so Peter, in a broad stroke, just says there's different kinds of gifts. Some of them involve speaking. Some of them involve serving. And he just creates two big categories here. And he says, if you serve, if you minister, do it with the ability that God gives that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory forever and ever. Glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, real quickly, turn over to Romans chapter 12. And let's look at this a little bit more. Say, I am one of everybody. That means that I have been influenced by God. I have received a gift. And I have the responsibility... To have an expression, or as Peter said, to minister that gift to others as a good steward of God's diversified grace. Now, Peter, we saw how Peter said it. Peter kept it real general in two categories, speaking and serving. And let's see how Paul put it. Romans chapter 12 verse 4 says... For as we have many members in one body, take a look around the room. We have many members in one body. What you're seeing here tonight is one body of believers, but many members, right? Do you notice, unless you're an identical twin, not hardly anybody looks like you? You're unique. And just as you're unique outwardly, you're unique inwardly. You're not like anybody else. You've got different, your, your personality is just a little bit different than everybody else's. Your, your physical features are a little bit different. And I want you to know your spiritual makeup is just a little bit different. You've got different gifts, different skills. Your personality is a little bit different. God is into originals. All right? We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. All the members do not have the same function. Sometimes we get a better grasp on scripture, what it says by identifying what it does not say. What if this verse said, and I'll read this to you from the reversed standard version. All right. What that means, I'm about to make something up that doesn't exist. What if this verse said, and it doesn't, but what if this verse said, we have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function. 
We have many members in one body, but all the members don't have a function. Do you know what that means? I would have to get up here tonight. If I was going to teach this, I'd have to get up here tonight and say, now listen, some of you are dead wood. Some of you have no use. Just be thankful that you can come and sit and listen and hear something, but God will never use you. God has no plan for your life. Uh, God has no purpose for you. You have no function. We have many members here, but not all the members have a function. Just some of you are, are worthless, useless. Aren't you glad we don't have to get up and say that? Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have many members in one body, but not all the member, the, all the members do not have the same function. Which means we all have a function. Now, don't you appreciate the anointing of the Holy Spirit? One time, in, in, or twice maybe in the book of John, first, uh, the first epistle of John, he refers to the presence of God, the anointing, as the unction. And I want you to know tonight, you have an unction to function. God didn't just put the Spirit into your life to give you goosebumps or to make you feel better. You know, there is a personal benefit of the Holy Spirit. He came to teach you and to comfort you, but He also came to equip you and to empower you, to, to deposit gifts and abilities on the inside so that you could function in the way that you uniquely and specifically were designed to function. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ. Now notice this, and individually members of one another. A lot of people never catch that part, individually members of one another. Some people say, well, why do I have to go to church? Why can't I just sit at home and watch my favorite preachers on television and things like that? Because there's no substitute for the local church. There's no substitute. Now, we can, you can watch and listen to whoever you want to. Hopefully, they're teaching good doctrine. But um, there is no substitute for being in close fellowship and serving together and working together in the context of a local body of believers. That's what Jesus established. And, um, and because we are individually members of one another. That means that somebody sitting close to you needs something that you have. And you need something that somebody else has. And if you're just sitting in your house watching TV and somebody else is sitting in their house watching TV, you can't, you can't do this sitting home watching television. You just can't do it. I'm not against television or radio or CDs or books or anything else. I'm just saying nothing takes the place of the local church. We are individually members of one another, having then gifts differing. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. Let us use them. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but did you know that we've just read about everybody, influence and expression? Many members in one body, that's everybody. Uh, as each one has received a gift, that's influence. Uh, 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 let's see, what is it? Having then gifts differing, that's influence. 
according to the grace that is given to us. That's influence. And then when he says, let us use them, there's our expression. Now, let me just do something with you. I want to I share with you a few prophecies that I came across a few years ago. And prophecy is great as long as it's in line with the scripture. And that's why the Bible says, judge all things, hold fast that which is true. But years ago, decades ago, this would have probably been in the 30s, maybe the 40s. Uh, uh, Charles Price, who was a pioneer in the Pentecostal movement, said this about the last days. You remember what Peter said? It'll come to pass in the last days, says God. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is what Charles Price said about the last days. He said, layman, you know what a layman is? That means just the average believer sitting in the pews. He said, layman will be his most important channel. Not the clergy or the theologians or the great gifted preachers, but men and women with ordinary jobs in the ordinary world. Mordecai Ham. Anybody here know who Mordecai Ham was? He's the evangelist that led Billy Graham to the Lord. Mordecai Ham said this. He said, God gave me a revelation of the last days. It is the layman that will reach the world. He went on to call layman the sleeping giant of evangelism. George Washington Carver did a lot more than discover ways to use the peanut. He was a godly man, a man of prayer. And he, he actually gave a prophecy about the end times. And this is what he said. He said, there is going to be a great spiritual awakening in the world. And it is going to come from plain, simple people who know. Not simply believe, but know that God answers prayer. It is going to be a great revival of Christianity, not a revival of religion. This is going to be a revival of true Christianity. Now listen to what he said. He said, it is going to rise from the layman, from men who are going about their work and putting God into what they do, from men who believe in prayer and who want to make God real to mankind. D.L. Moody said, if this world is going to be reached, I'm convinced that it must be done by men and women of average talent. And Tommy Hicks, uh, one of the healing evangelists during the healing revival, said God is going to take the do-nothings, the nobodies, the unheard of, the no accounts. He is going to take every man and every woman and he is going to give to them this outpouring of the Spirit of God. So when I read the scripture... And I see all the time that God says he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Where Peter says, as each one of you has received a gift. As Paul said, uh, we have many members in one body. We don't all have the same function. But we have gifts differing as God has given us grace. You know what I see? I see that the church has never really stepped up to the level that God fully intended. Now, when, when I talk about and when these men talk about the fact that God is going to use laymen, please don't ever think for a second that we don't need pastors. That we don't need, we're going to need pastors until Jesus takes the church to heaven. Because the Bible says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some uh, 
evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the uh, perfecting of the saints uh, until... Uh, we, to, for the perfecting or equipping of the saints, for the saints to do the work of the ministry until we all come into the unity of the faith and we'll, we'll not be there until Jesus comes. We're moving that direction, but um, we'll always need pastors. We'll always need leaders. But what we need to understand, this is something that's desperately needed in America, is that we need to understand that pastors were never given to entertain the saints. Pastors were given to equip the saints. And there's a whole lot of people, and I don't believe this applies to this congregation, but there's a whole lot of people in America that just want a pastor to entertain them. They just want the pastor to give me a little motivational speech so I can be happy and blessed. And uh, no, pastors don't exist. Sure, they exist to feed, but they exist to stir within you your gifts and to awaken you to your potential. So that you can begin to enjoy the influence of God. But most importantly, so that you can then have an expression coming out of you. So that you can be used of God. You know, one of the things that we see, and and if you ever want to do a fun study in the New Testament, just start in the Gospel of John, or even in any of the Gospels, and go all the way through the epistles and, and underline every time the Bible says, One another. One another. You remember that phrase we read from Paul where he said, we are individually members of one another? Jesus said, love one another. Paul said, in honor, prefer one another. He said, receive one another. Admonish one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another. Forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Teach and admonish one another. Increase and abound in love toward one another. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Exhort one another. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Be hospitable to one another. And then John, in his epistles, multiple times says, again, love one another. See, we need to understand that God's plan for Christianity was not that there be one superstar in the pulpit who just delivers messages and everybody gets blessed and one psalmist song leader who leads and everybody, oh, isn't that wonderful? But that every one of us be alive with gifts and talents and abilities and, and nowhere does the Bible say that they all have to be used publicly. A lot of these things can just happen during times of fellowship, midweek. You know, they don't all have to be public expressions by any stretch of the imagination. They can just be things that happen uh, in our relationships as we interact with one another, as we pray for one another. But I want to look at the rest of what Paul said. He said in verse 6, Romans 12, he said, Having then gifts differing, According to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, serving. That word is serving. If it's serving, let us use it in our serving. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with cheerfulness, uh, I'm sorry, with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
Now, you remember what Peter did? Peter just went with two big categories. And what Paul does is he fills in the two categories. Peter just said some people speak and some people serve. And what Paul does is he delineates some of the different types of speaking. Prophecy, teaching, exhortation, that type of thing. And he also delineated some of the those that serve, such as uh, giving and serving and uh, mercy and things of that nature. Now, when we read this list, it is natural for people to look at this list and say, well, where am I? What do I do? And um, I want to encourage you to look at this list this way. Number one, I want you to think of this list as not being complete. Because I don't think, and I may be wrong, but I don't think that Paul uh, sat down here to list every possible way that you could serve God. I think he gave us a few for examples. And even with modern technology, you know, where does, where does sound man come in here? Well, they don't have a sound man listed. Well, but that would come under serving. You know, there's, he didn't intend to list every possible thing. I think he just wanted to say, here's a few examples of some of the ways that God may have graced you that you can serve. And let me do, say another thing. I don't want you to look at this list and pick one item that you think is your gift and then assume that you can't do anything else. <clears throat> here's a really powerful word. You ready? Or three words. Basic Christian responsibilities. Some of these things that are listed in one sense, you don't have to be hyper gifted to do some of these things on a basic level. You can do a lot of these. In other words, you can't say mercy and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I need to ask you to forgive me. And you say, sorry, I can't. Mercy's not my gift. Or, for example, next Sunday, Pastor John says, well, it's time to receive the Lord's tithes and your offerings. I noticed how you said that. That's very good. It's time to receive the Lord's tithes and your offerings. And you say, sorry, Pastor John, I heard Brother Cook last week, and I don't have that giving gift. That's not my, it's not my area. I'm prophecy. If you want me to prophesy, let me know. But I don't do the giving thing. Now, let me tell you how some of this works practically. I believe, this is just my, my belief based on, you know, years and years of studying the Bible. I believe that every believer has the privilege of bringing the Lord's tithes into the storehouse, the local church. I don't think you have to have a special gift to do that. I tease my wife sometimes, and she always thinks it's always dumb and corny, but... Our trash comes every Monday morning and every Thursday morning. And she'll remind me a lot on Sunday nights if we're home and Wednesday nights if we're home. She'll say, Tony, the trash comes out tomorrow. And uh, you know what that means. And sometimes I'll just say, well, honey, but that's not my gift. That's not my calling. I'm not anointed. I don't have a special anointing for that. Yeah, that really impresses her. See, I don't have to have a special gift, calling, or anointing to take out the trash. That's my basic husbandly responsibility. All right? 
So I do that because I'm a husband, because I'm the head of the home, and, and it's just my responsibility. I want to bless my wife and do that. Um, I don't have to have a special gift or calling. I don't have to have a special gift or calling to bring my tithes into the storehouse. I don't have to have a special gift of mercy to forgive somebody if they ask me to forgive them or to show kind. I don't have to have a special gift. There's some things in life we just do because we're part of the family. But let me give you an example of what happens when this moves beyond the realm of just a basic Christian responsibility, and it really is a gift. Um, And this is going to be a pretty dramatic example, but I had a man come to me years ago and at church back when I was on staff at Raymond Bible Church, and he said, Brother Cook, he said, I just had this, you know, uh, in the last, you know, year or two, he said, I've had this real awakening. And he said, I always felt like God had a call on my life. But he said, I was terrified of preaching. And he said, so I always had this conflict. Anytime you guys would get up and talk about obeying God and the call of God, he said, I'd get under all this condemnation because part of me wanted to obey God and follow the call of God, but a part of me was terrified of preaching. So he said, I always had this conflict going on. And he said, see, I had an assumption that if you had a call of God, that meant you were called to preach. And he said, you guys were teaching on this. And he said, all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, there's all kinds of callings. Not just a call to preach. And he said, I, when I saw that thing about a, 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 a grace, a divine grace in the area of giving, he said, I know that everybody can give basic things to the Lord. And uh, he said, but I, I realized that God, even before I saw that, God had put something, a stirring on the inside of my heart about giving way above and beyond normal. And he said, I'm a businessman. And he said, God has given me ideas about how to make money. And he said, I'm not bragging. He said, this is God. He said, but God's given me ideas. He said, I can make more money by accident than most people can make on purpose. And he said, I realized God had called, has called me to a ministry of giving. And he, he used this verse in Romans 12. And he said, you know, uh, last year, he said, my wife and I, we gave 20% of our income to the Lord. And we lived on 80%. He said, this year, he said, we are on track. If we keep up like we are now, we are on track to have given 30% of our income to the Lord and lived on 70%. He said, our goal is to increase this year by year until we can get to the point. And, and you could, he was so excited about this. He said, until we get to the point where we're living on 10% of our income and giving 90% to the Lord. Now, see, what's beautiful about this is that the Bible says we have gifts differing according to the, the grace that is given to us. See, when, when God's grace is influencing you, then you don't feel any pressure. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. You're excited about doing it. You're passionate about doing it. It's, nobody has to twist your arm or manipulate you or, or drop subtle suggestions or anything like that. See, if you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you think, wow, it's just, I, I don't think I could do that. Well, then you're probably not called to do it. 
But if somebody was here that was really called to this, they would think, man, I can't wait till I can do that. What, what about mercy? Mercy. Do you know some people just seem to have a special grace to be merciful? And I don't know if I can fully explain this or understand this, but I, I just know that there's some people that have a mercy orientation in their mentality, in their, in their attitude, in their approach. They are so drawn to hurting people. Some people, you, you see somebody hurting and some people just kind of pull away. But a person who's mercy motivated, they will be drawn to the person that's suffering the most. You know, now here's, again, that's a pretty radical example about somebody living on 10%, giving 90%. That's a radical example. Mother Teresa is a radical example of somebody that operated in a mercy and in a compassion. You know, she and and the sisters that were with her, they would go through the streets of Calcutta and find dying individuals in the gutters that nobody would else have anything to do with. And they would bring them to the places where they would bathe them and and put a blanket on them and, and give them water. So, you know, many times they were just there for hours before they died, but they died with love and dignity, not in a gutter. And there was a rich aristocratic lady from Britain that came. She had been sponsoring some of Mother Teresa's work, and she's there in her fine apparel, and she walks into this room with all these, you know, dying people, and she just shudders, and she says to Mother Teresa, she said, I wouldn't do this for all the money in the world. And Mother Teresa said, neither would I. Something different was motivating her. But see, if we'll understand, not everybody's called to be a preacher behind a pulpit. Um, I, we, Lisa and I were at a church here in Tucson some time ago, and my first visit there, this church, the pastor and his wife both come out of uh, drug and alcohol addiction in their own personal life. They, they actually met, if I'm not mistaken, in a rehab facility. They were coming off drugs and or alcohol In the course of time, they ended up getting born again, spirit-filled, going to Bible school. Uh, But they had obviously uh, established, you know, sobriety in their lives and so on. But because both the pastor and his wife come out of addiction backgrounds, they have a huge heart to help people. And, And I'm telling you what, in their church, uh, they would take me around and introduce me and like, Nine out of ten people in their church are coming off or have been off some types of drugs or alcohol, but they find a connection there. They find understanding there. And and my first trip there, the pastor introduced me to this guy. And uh, we'll just say his name was Jim. I don't know what his name was. But he said, Jim, I want you to tell Brother Cook your testimony. And Jim said, well, I spent three years living under the bridge here in Tucson. He said, I had a good career, family, marriage, children home and he said I got addicted to all these drugs and he said I lost everything he said I ended up being severely addicted uh, lived under the bridge for three years some people from the church came and and uh, loved me ministered to me got me into a rehab program he said I've been clean and sober he said six months ago he said I got a job and I got an apartment 
And he said, I've been clean ever since, and I'm loving Jesus and serving Jesus. And I just said, Jim, that's so wonderful. I said, I'm so thankful to hear that. And the pastor said, but Jim, tell him what you do with your money when you get, get your paycheck. And Jim said, well, he said, uh, when I get my paycheck, he said, uh, first thing I do, he said, I've had some problems handling my money in the past because of my drug problems. So he said, I want to make sure I don't slip up. And he said, so the first thing I do, he said, I figure out if I get $100, I take $10. And he said, I don't wait till a church service. I take it right to the church. He said, because I don't want to be tempted. I don't. He said, I give that money to God first. And then he said, I take the rest of the money and I, I divide it up and pay my bills. And he said, every month I've got some money left over. And uh, he said, so what I do is, he said, I take that money and I go to the grocery store. And I buy some bread and I buy some sandwich meat. And I, I go home and I make sandwiches. And I wrap them up in you know, wrap and I take them in brown paper bags down to the bridge. And he said, I sit down with the guys that, you know, are like I used to be. And he said, if I'll take them a sandwich, they'll always listen to me. And he said, I tell them about what Jesus has done for me and that Jesus will do it for them. Now he said, what do you call that? You know, is that exhortation because he's exhorting them? Is that mercy because he's being merciful? Is that giving because he's giving above and beyond his tithe? And you know what I finally figured out? It doesn't matter what you call it. Anybody who's more concerned about their label or their title than they are the function is missing the heart of God. These things are functions. These are job descriptions that, you know, we're not supposed to, you know, go around. I've got this. I'm, I'm giving man, you know, I'm prophecy person. You know, we're, we're not trying to be superheroes here. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're simply trying to realize that number one, you're part of everybody and everybody, according to the Bible, God says he's poured out his spirit on all of us. And he wants all of us to have an expression. And we don't have to, like I said, these don't even have to be public. You know, some people think, for example, prophecy. Uh, I came out of the charismatic movement of the mid-70s, and we thought prophecy, that in order for something to be prophecy, uh, number one, you had to stand up in church. Number two, you had to say, yea, thus saith the Lord. And you had to say, my little children. And you had to say, I say unto thee. And then whatever you said had to be in King James. And we thought that was prophecy. Well, in some cases, I'm sure it was. But prophecy, here's what prophecy is. Prophecy is when you are inspired to say something that helps somebody else. It doesn't even have to be public. And you don't even have to say, thus saith the Lord. Maybe, maybe what you'll do is next Sunday you're sitting here in church and you look across the auditorium and for some reason you just see somebody and your heart just goes out to them. And you just feel this nudge in your heart to pray for them. And you just get a little burden and you pray for them, you know, and, and you're asking God to bless them. And while you're praying and asking God to bless them, he says, uh, you, you just feel impressed to give them a $20 bill. And so after church you find them. And, and there's a couple ways to do this. 
One is you try to make yourself look real spiritual. You say, yay. I sawest thee from the hinder side of the sanctuary. And God put a burden upon my heart for you. And yea, I was spoken to from on high to deliver unto thee this bounty of a $20 bill, which, saith the Lord, thou mayest use as thou seest fit. And so you can do that kind of thing and try to make yourself look real spiritual, or you could just go up to them and give them a hug and say, I, just, I was just praying for you during church today. I don't know if anything's going on, but I just want you to know God loves you. I love you. And man, I just want to give you this $20 bill. And uh, you know, whatever you want to do with it, just, it's, maybe it's just God's way today of saying he's remembering you. He loves you and I love you too. And give him another hug and go on your way. And you're not trying to make yourself look you know, real fancy or spiritual. But you know what? Sometimes some little something like that, that may be the nicest thing that's happened to them all week long. And that may be uh, something that encourages them. Uh, the, the biblical definition of prophecy is inspired utterance. You're inspired to say something that maybe you wouldn't have normally said. And it produces one of three things. It produces edification. It builds somebody up. Exhortation. It calls them near to God. Or comfort. It comforts them. And it doesn't mean you have to give them direction for their life or predict their future or discern something that's going on. It just, it just blesses and helps them. And that's simple prophecy. Pastors and others can teach about other gifts of the Spirit where there's revelation or discernment or things like that. But what I'm saying is these things that God wants flowing in our lives on a regular basis, uh, supernatural things, I want you to know half of the word supernatural is natural. Just go about your normal friendships, your normal relationships. Did you notice in some of those prophecies from D.L. Moody and different ones that a lot of them said something that's going to happen when men are going about their work and putting God into what they do? It doesn't mean you have to become reclusive and mystical and that type of thing. You can just be you, but you let God flow out of you. And you love people, you encourage people. And uh, I just want you to know that God said in the last days He'd pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. The sons and the daughters would prophesy. The young men would see visions. The old men would dream dreams. And, and even on the maid servants and the, me, the men servants, God would pour out His Spirit and, and they will prophesy. There will be an expression. I want you to know that you are loved by God. And He not only wants to bless you, but He wants to make you a blessing. And He wants you to... Uh, be sensitive. And see, this is why this morning we talked about getting through the storms. If you're busy battling storms all the time and just trying to survive, which, listen, there are times that survival is job number one, all right? But we don't want to stay there forever and ever. We want to get to the place where our question is not, God, how can I make it through tomorrow? But, God, how can I be a blessing to somebody today? And we want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to use the gifts and the talents that God has given us. And I'm going to tell you what, when you have a fully functional body of believers, man, people are just going to be praying for one another and encouraging one another. And, and it's not just going to be one person from the pulpit 
you know, trying to minister to everybody. The pastor's going to do that, but, but it's going to be everybody ministering to everybody. Just casually and through relationships. And man, when people come into the church, they're going to sense the love. They're going to sense the atmosphere is charged with people that just want to love and serve one another. And, um, and it just becomes awesome when people are serving God in formal positions, but in their casual relationships as well. With a title or without a title. You know, with a job description or without a, just, we're, we're just loving people and encouraging them. And that's God's desire for our lives. Pastor Ray, could you come on up and join us? And I'd like you to go ahead and stand up. And uh, I just want us to take a moment tonight. And there may be some folks here that uh, maybe uh, you've never committed your life to God in this way. Now, you, you love Jesus. He's your Savior. And you know you're going to heaven when you die. But maybe you have never said to God, God, I am presenting myself to you a vessel that you can use. And God, I want to come tonight. I just want to stand before you. And I want to go on public record saying, God, I'm here. I'm one of everybody. And I want you to pour out your spirit upon me tonight. And I want you to influence me in such a way that as I go out through my week, you know, my Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday, but as I go through my Monday through Saturday, you are expressing yourself through me, through my attitude, through my words, through my kindness, through my compassion, through my mercy. I want you to use me all week long. And I want you to give me a fresh anointing tonight. I want you to saturate me and then, and then you're also saying to God, and God, I want to live my whole life where I stay conscious of this all the time. That God, I just want you to have free flow and free course through my life at all times. I want you to get it through me. And I, because I know that you'll get it through me, I know you'll get it to me. Amen. Uh, Pastor Ray, you got something you can sing there? Do you know that song I had Lisa mention to you? Go ahead and sing this. It's a great song. And if you want to just make that consecration, dedication, come down and just spend a minute before God here tonight before we dismiss. I may slip down and just pray for you. But uh, avail yourself. This is a time of consecration. This is a time of dedication. This is a time when you're saying, I'm not going to be a stagnant, dormant Christian. God, I want you to use me however you want to use me. I want you to fill me. I want you to flood me. And then I want you to shine out of me. I want you to express yourself. I want to become a spiritually radioactive Christian. And I want to emanate God wherever I go. Go ahead, Pastor Ray.